Welcome to Core Parenting Conversations with Kaylee. My name is Kaylee Kukla, and I've spent the last decade supporting children and families with challenging behaviors. As a mom of two, I appreciate how overwhelming and exhausting parenthood can often be. So I'm taking all of my book knowledge and combining it with real life experiences to change the dialogue around parenting. We'll have powerful conversations that always include practical tips so you can walk away feeling inspired and empowered to make simple yet impactful changes in your family's life. Let's dive in. Hi, welcome to another core parenting conversation with Kaylee. Today, we're going to talk about behavior charts. We're not going to talk about behavior charts, why they're not the gold standard anymore, why we need to shift away from them and adopt some new practices. I have a whole lunch and learn about that that you can access in the core membership vault. Today, we're going to talk about what do I do if my child's class, my child's teacher uses one and we don't use them at home? How do we facilitate that conversation? So I want to break it into two topics. I want to talk about the teacher collaboration side and the conversations we'll have with our children at home. So let's start with the teacher collaboration. I really want to start and emphasize that I don't blame teachers Okay, behavior charts were the gold standard in the 1990s and the early 2000s. And in the last 20, 30 years, we've learned a lot more about child development, brain development, behavior, attachment theory, polyvagal theory. We've got different brain imaging research studies, all of these things that have come out that really tell us that, you know, there's a better way of doing that. However, most school districts still use a positive behavior support system or behavior management system. So oftentimes teachers are required to use some sort of behavior chart. Point system uh, is probably the most popular up on the smart board. Some teachers will keep it up there and, and others don't. So we have this combination of district requirements and then teacher implementation. And oftentimes, the soft, the quote unquote, air quotes here, the soft skills of teaching, such as behavior management, are learned by young teachers through our in-service training. So when I was a student teacher, I spent a whole semester in one classroom with one teacher after doing semesters of rotation through multiple different classrooms, multiple different teachers. And I picked up on how they did things and largely adopted those into my practice. So teachers are really up against two barriers here, the district policy, what they're required to do, and just a lack of access in terms of what to do instead. They don't have much experience with that. So this is not a podcast to demonize teachers (laughs) at all. My goal is we want to collaborate with teachers. And as parents, we can set the tone for that collaboration while we support the teachers and support and advocate for our children. So let's say the teacher sends out um, the behavior policy of the classroom or you walk in at the open house and you notice a behavior chart hanging up in the classroom. 
I would start the conversation proactively. Don't wait until there's a problem that arises with with your child and the behavior chart. We want to start this conversation neutrally. So we're not judging the behavior chart or we're keeping it to ourselves. Y'all put the filter on. And we want to really activate curiosity. Okay, because when we activate curiosity, we kind of squash the judgment a little bit. So that's my trick because my knee-jerk reaction is to judge. And then I'm like, oh, don't got to activate that curiosity, uh, which then replaces the judgment. So I start with a neutral observation. I do this with children, adults. It's magic. I noticed. I noticed this chart in the classroom and I'm I'm wondering, oh, there's that curiosity. I'm wondering how it's used. So see the the neutral observation I noticed along with the curiosity, I'm wondering. Then depending on if this is an email or an in-person conversation or a phone conversation, maybe the teacher calls you before school starts, I understand the importance of a homeschool connection. And I want to do my part to make sure Johnny receives consistent guidance in both environments. Any information you're willing to share about this system would be helpful so I can facilitate follow-up conversations at home. Then listen, eagerly listen to the teacher. I say, listen eagerly to understand. That's the goal here is to get a clear understanding of their priorities, their intention, and their values really in how that classroom culture is going to be built. If they share something that you believe could be less than helpful with your child, (laughs) such as an example given to me by a core member was when a child lands on red, they take away recess. We want to preemptively bring it up and without shaming, without blaming and focus on what to do. So not just, well, why would you take away recess? That seems pretty counterintuitive. I don't understand. You know, my Johnny is not going to do well with that and da, 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 da. No, we want to focus on what to do. So first, always start with appreciation. Now we're replying to them, right? So we want to start with appreciation and validation. Thank you so much for sharing this with me. I'd love to share how we support Johnny at home when he has a difficult time following directions. So now I'm going to share what's helpful at home. I'm going to focus my energy on what to do instead of what not to do. We're going to go back to those neutral observations from home. Focus on what works best for your child. We've noticed, so this is a for example, we've noticed that he needs a few extra moments to process questions and responds very well when he's given two positive choices. He may have a knee-jerk reaction to say no at first, but I pause and restate them, and he usually does accept one. So my intention with this is not just to focus on what to do, but also understand that we're building a relationship here. We're the experts on our child. And so we want to give the teachers clues on what helps our child the most. We want to help build that relationship with them, help them to get to know your child. Because 99.99 teachers that's really what they want to do. That's really what they want to accomplish the first few weeks of school is build the relationships between themselves and the students and the students with each other and build that classroom culture and community. The next step would really be to state 
some sort of compassionate boundary that focuses on collaboration. So this is really gentle because remember, this is a proactive conversation. This has not served a problem yet. We haven't noticed a challenge. We're trying to proactively just put it on the teacher's radar that there could be other approaches that work better and that the approach of, let's say, taking away recess may really not be the most beneficial for our child. Really, that practice isn't beneficial for any child. But again, we're focusing on our child right now. This is a proactive conversation. So it may sound like, you know, he's used to getting a lot of outdoor time because I noticed, here's the neutral observation, I noticed he's better able to concentrate and regulate his body after he runs, jumps, and plays. Here's my concern. Missing out on recess may end up being more of a headache for everyone later in the day. So I ask that we can come up with a different follow-up consequence for him if needed. We're really honoring the need for some sort of system in the classroom, supporting the teacher, while also really advocating for our child. In my experience, most teachers... Again, 99.99% of them really do want to focus on supporting the children. And they love when parents are active, involved, and aware. If you do get pushback, stay compassionate and focus on what matters most in this situation, your child, and that will best serve them. The other thing we can do is utilize support staff in the school. Get to know the school community. So I know in Florida, a few years back, funds were given to our public schools to put another mental health professional in each public school. Most schools around the country in the U.S. have guidance counselors in some capacity at the schools or an assistant principal or a resource teacher, ESE coordinator. There's some sort of support staff there. And oftentimes, These are the people that have access to extra resources, particularly social-emotional learning curriculums. So that's the eventual goal is that these SEL, social-emotional learning curriculums, will replace the behavior management systems. But again, it's a grassroots movement. By you initiating these conversations, you're a part of this movement. That's where our power is as parents. I certainly am very passionate about continued professional development, trying to offer that to teachers. Just know that if you get to know, if you get the pushback from the teacher, or if the teacher just feels like they're floundering, they just have so many children that need support in that class, or they're so overwhelmed for various reasons, reach out to some of those other people who may be able to bring things into the classroom, maybe able to plan a more general tier one system in the classroom. So that's just a a support that all children will benefit from that tier one support. So you're looking at the overall culture. How can I bring in more support? And also maybe the teacher would be more willing to collaborate with the guidance counselor or an assistant principal or an ESE coordinator because they're already used to doing that um, and they already have that established relationship. And you can stay in the role of being the parent and not a paraprofessional. That's a really difficult line to 
walk when you have access to all this information. And if they're willing, I have this great book that has a lot of different resources. Do you want to take a look? And I might hand them Dr. Becky Bailey's Conscious Discipline book, or I might hand them Dr. Mona De La Hook's Beyond Behaviors book. Okay. So, but I always ask first and then give them resources as they're open to it. Or maybe I've also in the past provided resources to the support staff, whether it be I gave a book to the assistant principal at my child uh, at a school. Another guidance counselor reached out to me at a public school and I, I lent them books. So it's all about finding who's open to that and who can help support the teacher as well. This core parenting conversation is brought to you by Kaylee's Core Membership. If you've tried the Instagram parenting tips and tricks to gain connection and cooperation with your child and it's still not working, (laughs) if you feel confused about how to respond to some of your child's bigger behavior, or maybe you need the encouragement and accountability to make the changes you know you and your family need, CORE offers the weekly support and tools to make these powerful shifts within a supportive, uplifting community. We talk about real-life parenting, not the neat and clean two-dimensional examples often given on social media. You can learn more about this program by heading to my website, www.kayleekukla.com backslash core, C-O-R, for Centered on Relationships. The link is in the show notes. Now back to this core parenting conversation. Okay, now let's shift the conversation to your child and having this conversation with your child. The first thing I want to say is don't project your emotions and your perception onto your child's experience. We want to get really curious about their experience, their perception of this chart or this rating system, point system, whatever it might be. When they hand you the piece of paper, so let's say back in my day when we were doing red light, green light, we would get a piece of paper every day with our color on it. I've also seen stamps in agendas that children get, point systems that are printed out or put up in the classroom on the smart board and then parents get reports sent home. So there's all different things. But if there's a daily item that comes home to signal this and your child initiates the conversation, don't assume you know what they think it means. Ask them. So if they hand you a green sheet of paper for a green light that day, oh, what does this mean? Let them explain it to you. Oh, so it means you listened to the teacher and you were good today. Huh, what do you think about that? Oh, what did she say that you listened to? Oh, All right, now we're figuring out, like now we're getting into these tangible experiences and their perception of these experiences. Notice I'm really trying to ask what questions. So when children learn different language development, they're going to learn from concrete concepts to abstract concepts. These what, you can have like a closed what question. So what is this? And they're labeling something or What do you think about that? That would be an open-ended what question. So those are a little more concrete than the how and the why questions. You may run into difficulty with like four or five, five five-year-olds answering those questions. They may not quite understand them and then you're not going to get an answer. I don't know or no or whatever. 
just because they don't really understand what you're asking. It's too abstract. So eventually, you know, like my seven-year-old, I can totally ask him, well, why do you think that happened? Or how did that happen? You know, my four-year-old, that'd be tricky for him still. Not all. It depends. Okay. So what do you think about that? What did that feel like for you? Are you proud of yourself? Right. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to take the focus. If you caught it already, I'm curious if you caught it already. I'm trying to take the focus off of the color sheet of paper, off the smiley face or off of the teacher's evaluation. And I'm trying to highlight my child's own internal experience with this. Because that's a problem with the behavior charts as they perpetuate extrinsic motivation, these reward systems. And then we get more focused on what other people are thinking and less focused on our own experience. So by highlighting, what do you think about that? What did that feel like for you? We're highlighting, we're bringing it back to our child's own intrinsic experience, and we're helping them develop a self-reflection practice, which is super important when we start making mistakes, right? We've got to reflect on the mistake to figure out how we can do it differently next time. That's where learning happens. That's the power of reflection with children and staying curious instead of judging their behavior. Okay. Oftentimes too, children will want to share a story about maybe a friend who had a hard time that day. So whether it be a friend who had to move their clip down, or maybe it was our child that had to move the clip down, we still want to start with the, what do you think about that? Then we want to bring it back to our family's core values and their experiences in the family. Oh, she was having a hard time, huh? Or, oh, you were having a tricky time putting those markers away to line up. Sounds like you didn't want to stop. Tell me about that. We're bringing it back to something really concrete, really tangible for them and non-judgmental. We're staying curious here. Then we're going to tie it to our family. What do we do when we have a hard time at home? What do we do if you don't want to stop coloring at home and it's time to get in the car? Huh? Yeah, we do that. We, you know, we leave it out on the table. I can understand though, your teacher might not want you to leave it out. I wonder if there's something else you could do, like put it in your folder hand it to your teacher, put it in your backpack, put it, right? So we're getting really tangible and really concrete. Then after we highlight, you know, this is how you handled it at school or this would happen at school. This is how we would have handled it at home. Which one helps you? Which one helps you learn? Did you feel safe? We ask that question a lot. Did that feel safe for you? What did that feel like? Hmm, maybe now for older children, I might put it on them. Maybe you could explain that to the teacher. She might not know how badly you wanted to finish coloring that. She might be open to a plan next time to let you, you know, finish it later on uh, when you come back to let you take it home. She just may not have known. Remember, teachers are juggling like 15 to 20 kids, so they may not pick up on all this. And if the child either A, isn't comfortable doing that, B, I'll ask, do you want me to send her an email and just let her know what was going on? She'd probably want to know how to help next time. Okay, I can send her that email. So those are all ways that I 
proactively navigate these conversations. The other thing I want to say is I would not talk to my child every day about the rating that they bring home, the points or the color or the smiley face or whatever. I wouldn't bring that up every day unless they do. Because again, the more attention we give something, the more power we give it. And we don't want to give this behavior chart any more power than it already has. A line that I often use or something similar to this when I'm talking to children about behavior charts or, you know, if my kids see something that they're like, whoa, what was that in terms of a a behavioral correction that seems different to them? I'll say something like, you know, it seems like you had a hard time today or you were making mistakes and your color, you know, you had to move down on the clip chart. In our family, we believe that mistakes are how we learn. And it looked like a lot of learning happened today. So I'm not worried about the color. I'm not worried about the red or the yellow. My goal is always to understand how to support you and how to help and how to learn and how to grow. And so we have these, this is going to be an ongoing perpetual conversation. No color could ever change how much I love you. (laughs) You know, no points are going to change how I feel about you. And just affirming our child and letting them know where our focus is, what gets our attention and what has power in our home, the love, the connection, the learning, all of those things is what's the most important. Now, let's say you've had these proactive conversations and your child really starts struggling with the chart. So a lot of time this will come across as like perfectionist tendencies, being afraid to make mistakes, overreacting to mistakes, maybe even some resistance to going to school. You know, I've had students who, if they couldn't do their homework just right, they didn't want to go to school because they wouldn't get the sticker when they walked in the door and handed their teacher the paper. I mean, those things can happen. So if if you notice your child is really struggling with the chart, bring it up to the teacher. This can look like perfectionist tendencies or being afraid to make mistakes, overreacting to mistakes, resistance going to school. I had a girl who was afraid of not wanting to go to school without having her paper done perfectly because she wanted it to be perfect when she turned it in, but then didn't want to turn in an imperfect paper. But then if she didn't turn it in, she wouldn't get a sticker and it turned into this whole thing for her. So being able to communicate with the teacher, this really isn't working. We're noticing these really challenging behaviors at home. We want to figure out a way to get feedback on his behavior that does not include the color chart. So now we're getting more assertive. Now we need these people that we've found in the community, support staff, personnel to come in and make a plan because it's just not working well for our child. That would be more of a responsive approach. And the rest of this podcast was all proactive. We want to just start the dialogue before it becomes a problem. And remember, starting the dialogue with the teacher isn't just about the behavior chart. Okay, it's also about appreciation and thanking her when or him when they send out a a notice about what's going on at the school. I always reply with a thank you or this was really helpful just to give them that continuous feedback and keep the lines of communication open because we want them to know that we're there and we're involved and supportive. Remember our goal 
as caregivers, as parents, is to do the best we can with what we have available in a given situation. And we're always going to get farther if we can collaborate with our child's other caregivers. And with that in mind, I'm wishing you all a wonderful week. If you're listening to this before school starts, I hope you have a great start to the school year. The next few episodes will be all about back to school, continued focus on collaborating with the school and the teachers and a couple other conversations. So this podcast is supported by the core community. If you've tried the Instagram parenting tips and tricks to gain connection and cooperation with your child and it's still not working... If you feel confused about how to respond to some of your child's bigger behavior, or maybe you need encouragement and accountability, you can find that in CORE. These tools and support that you'll find make powerful shifts within a supportive, uplifting community. We talk about real-life parenting, not the formulaic (laughs) parenting that can happen on social media, but we give you real-life examples. I take your real-life examples to deep dive on a weekly basis in our weekly Q&A, and then along with all the handouts and workshops and all that good stuff. So learn more about all the resources included in the core community by heading to kayleekukla.com backslash core, C-O-R for Centered on Relationships. The link is in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll meet you back here next week. 